It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We are three days removed from the conclusion of the NFL draft. Two days removed from the conclusion of the NFL draft. We're recording this on Monday night. You're probably listening on Tuesday, so I could have stuck with the three days. You would have believed me. But we have a list of undrafted free agents to talk about. And on Monday, there are a few fun little things happening on social media. We'll cover all those first. Then we'll get into... Inspired by Mo Egger, who wrote about when he was reinvigorated in his Bengals fandom by Joe Burrow. We'll talk about when that moment was for us with Joe Burrow. Talk a little bit about the Albert Breer story about how the Bengals vetted their quarterback of the future. And finally, we're a couple days removed from the draft now, so we have some distance. We've had some time to reflect, and we can see if our opinions have changed at all. Spoiler, mine hasn't. But first, let's talk about the news. Joe, let's start with the undrafted free agents. I don't know any of these names, but they've signed an edge player, another linebacker, a wide receiver, a cornerback, and two offensive linemen, a tight end, and a defensive lineman to go along with a running back. They're all over the map here, but nobody stands out as an odds-on favorite to make the team. Nobody was a guy that we were thinking about in the draft the way Stanley Morgan last year stood out on their list of undrafted free agents. That's right. I think I'm more interested in the position groups and what position they sign. We've got an edge player here and a couple offensive linemen. I think the offensive linemen, uh, as we find out what quality players they are, I'm sure we'll go back and watch the majority of these guys that get announced, but... I bet O-linemen, if they were high priority and getting offers from other teams, probably looked at the Bengals as an opportunity to not only uh, make the roster, but, but the practice squad. And remember, they can call up two extra people during the regular season this year for Sundays to get them to 55 from the practice squad. So these guys have a little bit of an extra role now than before. So you want to have an extra O-lineman, maybe an extra tight end, extra edge guy. I think all these make sense from a positional standpoint. A lot of analysts connected the Bengals with Calvin Throckmorton, the Oregon offensive lineman, projected to guard for most, but played tackle at Oregon. They coached him at the Senior Bowl. He was a late arrival there. He ends up signing elsewhere, so he is not on the list. If you go look up Scotty Washington, the Wake Forest wide receiver on Twitter, there are some highlight plays there, so maybe something to get excited about. But we do not know who any of these guys are yet, and we'll probably have to wait for some more details about them. 
Noteworthy, however, Joe, as you said, that there are a couple of offensive linemen here and an edge player who may compete for a spot because there's only a few guys on the roster really challenging at that position. Yeah, and typically teams like to have six edge rushers and four interior guys to make up their 10 defensive linemen if they keep that many. Right now, the Bengals are at four edge and probably four interior guys. So I still think there's a lot of room there for someone to make the roster on the back end and and maybe even make an impact and play. They, that could be one position they still sign a veteran to round out this roster. And a shout out to uh, Isaiah Swan, the Dartmouth corner. Mike Brown's alma mater is Dartmouth as well. So a few connections there for the Bengals, a Georgia defensive lineman. We know they love their guys out of Georgia, getting a guy out of the SEC there. Uh, Two players from Iowa State on the list, Marcel Spears Jr., the linebacker, and Josh Nipfel, the offensive lineman. So a few trends that are visible there. Meanwhile, in more lighthearted news, and quickly just want to shout out Bengals social media team, did an excellent job throughout the draft. And even today, building up some hype videos for Joe Burrow in this new era that he and Zach Taylor are ushering in. Noticeable difference in the quality of social media. And speaking of social media, Chad Johnson challenged the Bengals receivers to come down and work out in Florida and let him take 10 reps against each of them one-on-one in man coverage. And he said to T. Higgins, you won't catch two balls on me if you're lucky. Well, the old 85, and it sounds like T. Higgins is going to be wearing 85. He wants to guard him and uh, really make sure he's worthy of that mantle. Chad did bless T. Higgins, who announced on Twitter he will be wearing 85 by quote-tweeting T. Higgins with a diamond. He was really upset that T. Higgins wasn't picked on day one of the drafts, and I hope that Chad and T. Higgins have a productive future training together because As T.J. Hushmanzada mentioned on Willie Anderson's Instagram Live a couple weeks ago, Chad and T.J. were really the ones that kind of invented some of the drills that we see wide receivers working on today to work on their footwork, and Chad had some of the best feet that we've seen in the NFL. I think that would be a fun learning opportunity for T. Higgins. To wrap up the news, Ken Anderson is on Twitter. He formerly had his foundation on Twitter, but now the man himself is here. And he's been pretty interactive with fans so far who are reminiscing about his old games. You can go give him a follow. It is the real Ken Anderson. It's been verified by local media as far as we know. Worth a look. So that's your all over the place news. And today in the Cincinnati Bengals network, even Jeff Hobson is still taking time off. There's nothing new on the Bengals website, I think, since Saturday night or maybe Sunday. But It's been a long weekend for everybody. We'll come back with a piece of the podcast that's going to be inspired by Mo Egger. Joe and I both were struggling later this season when you're in a 2-14 season after the 2015 heartbreaking playoff loss and years of mediocrity under Marvin Lewis. And then Joe Burrow came along and there was a real chance to reset things. So we'll talk about when we were reinvigorated because I think both of us, it's fair to say, have been recharged by this offseason. Coming up next. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of you, your favorite football team, what you wear to the playoff watch party, that song that you stream over and over to get you pumped up for the gym, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are best to listen to on a long road trip, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic ball cut from the 90s and hopefully is. 
Everything that makes you, you makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you. And the ability to choose the plan you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The energy around not just the organization, but I think it's easily seen with the fan base and maybe social media has an effect on that, right? And they're doing such a good job there. But uh, the, the feeling, the energy is palpable. I mean, you, you can taste it. It's uh, People are excited again, more excited than, man, this has to be like 2013, 14 range, 15, obviously, where people were like, yeah, let's go. We're all in. This team has a shot. And it wasn't like this just six months ago, just maybe four months ago. And starting from the loss to the Steelers in 2015, I think it's been a downward spiral from that point to the lowest of lows last year as the Bengals were 0-8 at one point and really just looked as bad as possible. And I, I know a lot of people were um, – saying, I'm not going to watch this team anymore. And, you know, if they don't draft Joe Burrow, I'm not going to watch this team. If they don't participate in free agency, I'm not going to watch this team. Whatever the case may be, there was a lot of people jumping off that the ledge. And you know what? I think attendance says it all. And, and, and somehow, some way, that spark was reignited at some point in these last four months and four months and a half. And I think Mo Egger captured it in, the, in a perfect question on his piece at, over at The Athletic saying, when did it reignite? When did that spark happen again? And Mo had a lot of good guests on uh, his show today. He have, have, has all those posted. Make sure you read his thing over at The Athletic. Make sure you go and listen to all of his uh, little snippets and podcasts of the interviews he had today. But So we wanted to take that from Mo and discuss it and bring it into our own world here and what we thought of it. And, and I think we might have differing answers here, Jake. Yeah, I think everyone might have a different moment because for me, the, the criticism went deep with the Bengals and how we got to this point, the continued reluctance to play in free agency was driving me nuts. And, and the insistence mm -hmm. on winning their way, I even to some extent argued with Evan Silva that the Bengals weren't the franchise that didn't try to win. I, I argued that maybe they didn't know how to win. Maybe they tried to win their way. And I still think that that's true to some degree. But there's a point where you have to modernize. And the list of things that people talk about as discontent with the Bengals, still a pretty long list. I, I don't think that all of those problems have gone away. But spending big guaranteed money in free agency on top tier free agents and then nailing this draft class for the most part is a huge step in the right direction. So when did I let myself start to get excited is this question. And for me, it was the Alabama game. That was when the two best quarterback prospects in this draft went head to head and both played a pretty good game. And even if you go back and rewatch, you might think, depending on your perspective, that Tua had a better game. Coming coming from behind, Joe Burrow gets strip-sacked by Xavier McKinney in that game, and I don't put that on Joe Burrow. He also had a ball that should have been picked, I think, in that game that was dropped mm -hmm. by the Alabama defense. But regardless, they hung, what, 50-some points, 40-some points on the Alabama defense, which wasn't great last year, but it was enough to win the game against a prolific offense. And so for me, that's when I start 
started to become excited. That's when I was sold on Joe Burrow in the first place. And I decided, you know what? I really, they need to get that pick. If, if mm. they win two more games, because at that point in the season, there's still plenty of season left. The Miami game was still ahead of us. And so that's what got me geared up for the Miami game thinking, man, they can't win that game. That's, that's yeah. where they clinch it. And that's where they clinch their choice of quarterback and, and likely Joe Burrow. And so for me, it started at the Alabama game and really turned around through free agency. It really took until they signed DJ Reader because I was like ready to be out. I was thinking they're not going to do anything. And Joe Burrow, maybe all this stuff's going to come true. I don't think hearing Joe Burrow after the draft, there's ever anything to that. But we'll never know is, is the reality. And so at the time, I'm sitting there thinking this is it. This is the end of the Bengals in Cincinnati. And then yeah. that afternoon news breaks, they, they start signing guys. They're making moves that we like DJ reader. We're, we're a huge fan of that move. Right. And then the draft gets here and I went back through my tweets. I would have been very happy with T Higgins at 33 on January 15th. I found a tweet. I wouldn't pass on T Higgins at 33. Well, the Bengals didn't. We've been talking about Logan Wilson in the third round for weeks. So the first three picks are all things that we approve of big time. And and at some point, you know, getting Akeem Davis Gaither in the fourth round seemed like a dream. And, and then they did all those things. And then five through seven don't really matter all that much, but it's hard to argue with many of those picks at that point either. So, yeah. you know, the off season won me back in a huge way. And then my excitement though really started to build around Joe Burrow at Alabama in the Alabama game and then in the postseason after the Bengals yeah. had secured that pick, it really grew. Yeah, uh, that postseason is really where it. I think it w- went from an ember to a full-on flame. Right? It was it was a spark in that Alabama. Like, okay, here's the Bengals, really close to picking number one. They're 0 and 8, 0 and 9 at that point. It might have been even been their bye week that week, and that's why I think everyone was watching it. But uh, I remember. You know, there were still the Redskins, there were still the Dolphins, there were still teams to be weary of at that point of possibly um, getting into the number one or number two slot. So I, you wanted to make sure there was a second quarterback. It was Tua, and then is Burrow good enough? Let's see him do it against Alabama. Alabama, he's having a crazy year. And he did. So, uh, all right, it was like, okay, all right. So they got to get in position. And it became, at that point, they have to lose out. They have to, I mean, we we're full on tank for the next eight, seven weeks, whatever it was, of they've got to finish this job. And it culminated in that week 16 game. You could feel it in the fan base and in, in some of the media and sports uh, and radio personalities in the area were all like, whew, this is, you know, this is getting too close. Even Paul Denner Jr., who I feel is pretty, even though he's a Bengals fan, you know, growing up that way, I feel he pretty, pretty much sticks to, you know, reporting what happens rather than hoping someone wins or loses, right? And he was kind of like, what are they doing here in the fourth quarter? You know, and it was everyone knew what was on the line. And I was reading the piece on SI uh, today uh, about how the Bengals got to the point of, for themselves of knowing when Burrow was the guy. And it sounds like Duke Tobin around that time also was saying, that's the game. That's the game where the, you know, week 16 against the Dolphins, where they're like, okay, we're in position. He already liked Joe Burrow. But now they're definitely in position to figure it out if they like them that much. And I think the Bengals fans were the same way there. Like, okay, they've, they've secured it. And then it was the Georgia game, which was fantastic. And then it was the Oklahoma game. And everyone felt like, you know, remember Twitter went nuts. It was like watching a Bengals playoff game. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone was into it. Everyone was hyped for it. What he did and put on a show the way he did, everyone's like, whoa, this is it. He's the one. 
it was it was finding out Neo was the was the one in the Matrix watching that, and it culminated in the championship game where everyone's like, he's the guy, this is it, and I, I feel the same way. And then free agency and all that took place, so I'm not going to repeat what you said. But for the Bengals coaches, then and that same piece from SI from uh, Monday Morning Quarterback was that the coaches did the Senior Bowl, they knew they were going to lock in and really do a lot of scouting this year, and they came back and were like, okay, here I want you to watch all the top quarterbacks. And they all reconvened after, like, yeah, it's Joe Burrow. And, okay, he's the pick. He's the guy that's worthy of number one pick. Let's uh, let's make sure that, you know, we secure this and, and get everything done. So it seems like the, that spark was all for everyone locked in and keys turned early in February. Yeah, that Albert Breer piece really highlights where the coaches were when they came around on Joe Burrow. And you're right, Duke Tobin was ahead of him. He was on our schedule. And I find that yeah. to be kind of interesting. I do remember that playoff run, though. That was fun. Watching the Oklahoma game with a bunch of Bengals fans being excited. Watching the Clemson game. Because the Clemson game, the, the challenge of the Brett Venables defense and overcoming it. Because really, they struggled with with that defense in the first quarter. Remember how long that first half felt? I think I tweeted about mm-hmm. it. They had as many plays in that first half as most NFL games have in an entire game. They were They were playing at a breakneck pace. So fun for a lot of reasons and watching Joe Burrow overcome that defense, overcome the consistent onslaught of pressure was pretty impressive. I remember, do you remember the outcry when the Clemson linebacker got thrown out? No, I don't remember. Well, I mean, I remember him getting thrown out and then after that, it was no chance for Clemson. There were a lot of people that were really upset and thought that it was a bogus call and thought that there was nothing he could do about it. I I just remember arguing with people about that because it was like it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, maybe the intent wasn't there. But the onus is on defensive players, both in the NFL and in college football, to avoid that egregious contact. And it was certainly made. So, yeah. And just just revisiting all those things in, in retrospect is pretty fun at this point. I only felt a little bit of anxiety at any point about the Joe Burrow stuff, because I feel like both of us interpreted that stuff the same way the whole time as it was, you know, media created. So I never really let it get to me until like the last week. And then there was like 1% of me that was, okay, let's get this over with. So we're sure it happens. And then the days leading up to the draft, the Bengals sort of stopped trying to hide it a little bit. But the Bengals, I think, decided way in advance and, and just didn't tell Burrow because they wanted to let him have his draft week experience, and, and they did. Yeah. It, it, you know, my wife was watching the stream when we were watching the first pick happen, and she goes, you guys didn't seem very excited. And I said, well, we were excited, but it's kind of who we are. We don't really get too high and too low over here. But um, it was like just signing the last paperwork to close on a house you know you already have imagined your house you've already walked through it you've already driven down that neighborhood and looked at the house a million times imagine what it's going to look like what colors are going to paint it how fun it's going to be to be in there closing is just signing off having a drink and be like all right we're there let's move in now and i think that was like every pick there were no picks that were like hell yeah you knocked this out of the park kind of thing it was T. Higgins, great. That's good value at 33. But, you know, if it was Josh Jones or if it's Denzel Mims, those are the guys we were talking about at the time. That doesn't make T. Higgins a bad pick. It's a pick that we like. It gets what we give it an A, A minus. Yeah. That's, that's still a really good grade. And if you go back in my Twitter history, I really like T. Higgins all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kind of forgot later in the process after the Senior Bowl when I got sold on Denzel Mims and then he tested like a freak. And, I guess it's worth remembering that T. Higgins had an injured hamstring in the offseason process, and that could have 
impacted his time and his jumps. You go back to those high school basketball highlights that the Bengals posted. He's clearly an athlete. And and that's also sort of reflected in his better broad than vertical. I don't know if you noticed that he's dunking from like one step past the free throw line. And that, saw... that kind of that explosion in the broad jump, broad jump kind of came to mind. He also got flagged from the medical team at the uh, combine for a stiff ankle. So that probably didn't help him in his shuttle and three cone. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not going to get worked up about his athleticism in, in retrospect. And I'm going to root for his success. He's wearing 85 now. And he's right. a second round Bengals wide receiver. I think you're like guaranteed success at that point. Yep. Yeah. He's got the magic number and the, and the, uh, the pedigree now. So it's good to go, but we're going to talk about kind of, uh, the entire draft a little bit there now a few days after in the next segment so you're right i was starting to go down that rabbit hole a little bit early so we'll get there coming up next if you're looking for the most comprehensive nfl draft coverage this offseason look no further than the locked on nfl scouting podcast join the draft dudes kyle krabs and joe marino as they go position by position through the nfl free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 nfl draft if you want to know who your favorite nfl team should be adding to its roster you need to check out locked on nfl scouting available on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day so we figured a few days now after the draft has finished, even though we recapped the draft, uh, you know, kind of a speed segment on whatever that was Saturday night. Um, now we've get, you know, reports and, and journalists can give us the, the behind the scenes of a lot of these picks and we get the takes from the players and see the energy and, and excitement that builds uh, through it all and get a better idea of how those guys fit. And I think starting off, you know, we talked about Burrow so much in the last one. I just wanted to say also in that, uh, Monday morning quarterback column was how much the Bengals were installing with him. And then we had like an idea, right? That that was potentially happening. Even though Zach Taylor kind of turned it down. Burrow said they asked for their, his top 10 plays at LSU and to break it down into so that they could absorb it into the playbook. They uh, were, were talking about their own plays and their own system and their own schemes and, and really like implementing them high level with Burrow to make sure he understood them and that they fit what, what uh, he liked. So there, and I think Albert Breer even said, I wouldn't call it installing, but that's pretty much the gist of it, that what they were doing. So we've got a little of a head start there that just builds to the excitement and the fun of, of everything at the quarterback position and any worry that, you know, he may not start off on a, on a hot uh, foot, but also, I like the over-unders. Uh, did you see those? Jay Morrison tweeted those out for Joe Burrow's rookie year. I believe it was 3,200 yards passing, uh, 24 and a half touchdowns, and 16 and a half interceptions. Over-under for all those. And I think you could go over for the yards, under for the interceptions. 24, 25 touchdowns seems about right. Yeah, I think those are all pretty reasonable thresholds for him to hit. I could see the over on interceptions in his rookie year just as he adapts to the speed of the game. But at the same time, I would take the under on all of these right now because we don't know if they're going to play a full season. And I guess maybe I'd have to see, Oh yep, Yeah. I'm looking at the notes on the bets must start first game of regular season for action. So I'm sure there's something built into the bets uh, to account for the fact that there might not be a full season. What do you think? Offensive rookie of the year. I think the second guy was a running back. I don't remember who it was. I'm sure. sure. I'm sure Jay has it. It's got to be Jonathan Taylor, I would think, in Miami. I mean, in um, Indianapolis Colts. He just has to beat up Marlon Mack. 
I was wrong. It's Tua is second at eight to one. Clyde Edwards Alaire at nine to one. Mm. Jonathan Taylor also at nine to one. Wow. Joe Burrow yeah, is five I, to two. So yeah, twice that's a, twice those odds. Yeah, he's got a great chance. He's the guy because Tua may not start the year, right? He, there's a potential for that. Um, the other two are running backs with other decent young running backs with them, even though they're lo- lower pedigree, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think Burrow is a great shot to win this. I don't think there's a dark horse in there that could probably come up. Last year was Kyler Murray. It was Baker Mayfield. I mean, number one quarterbacks have a good, sh- excuse me, a good shot to win the rookie of the year. Yeah. It's actually four times better odds. I, I misread it. So one other note here before I talk about, we, we get back into our reaction to the draft. Uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter that Paul Daner's piece about the new Bengals image that they're pushing points to a new hire that they made. The Bengals hired Katie and Troy Blackburn's daughter, Elizabeth. She is the new director of strategy and engagement. She's 27 years old. I feel like I heard at some point that they were grooming her to come into the organization. And this is her first step in getting into the Bengals business. And if she's doing the social media stuff, which I think she, she seems to be largely in charge of, she is doing a great job and it feels good to say that somebody in Bengals ownership is doing a great job. Doesn't it, Joe? It does. I I remember we were talking about this like six months ago, though, right? And we didn't know the two plus two, what it would equal at that point. But now it makes perfect sense. Did they hire her? Uh, who who are I'm, we talking to about this? Do you remember at all the, the context? I remember that we yeah, talked I about do. it. You do? It was a, yeah, it was a secret DM that you get from time to time from someone I trust that uh, said, hey, just so you know, they're grooming her for something. And just when that comes up, we'll know what it means. And you know, we didn't at the time, but we we did a lot of research into her profile to figure out what she could possibly be doing, and now it makes sense. So maybe I shouldn't drive you all there, but she was hired in February. And, and Joe, as we were talking off air, I remember we went and looked at her LinkedIn to try to figure out what is her background in. And she did work for the NFL. She had an internship at the NFL 2017-2018. And then she worked at Bain Consulting and KKR and Company. So she did some consulting. She also went to Dartmouth like Mike Brown did. So there's some some family legacy there. And and now she's doing a really good job with the Bengal social media team. I, that's really exciting to me. I, maybe I'm like irrationally excited about that. <laughs> but like, I, I honestly don't remember any other time in the history of my life when I've been excited for something that someone in the Bengals ownership group has done. Like, yeah. The outside of like regular football stuff, like, oh, you signed a player. Great. You don't get extra credit for that. Right. So. So moving on to T Higgins then and how we feel at this point, uh, it's a loaded receiver group, right? I mean, can you look at it and look at these guys that there's kind of a trend. John Ross is like the outlier at this point. They're all six, four and run a four five and but Boyd six two, but still point is like, these are big dudes with big catch radiuses that aren't really the fastest. seems like, NFL teams want the fastest guys at this point when I copy the Chiefs track meet and the Bengals are like, yeah, we'll take the catch radius and, and guys that can still get deep because of it. And uh, and then you got John Ross. And it started to make me think also, this is going off, but I want to finish the thought on Ross. I can see them next year, even if they keep one of Green, one of Ross, I don't think they keep two at this point after investing a high pick in Higgins. 
I can see them looking at it and saying, we need a speed receiver next year, even though they just spent a high pick on Higgins if they let Ross go, because these guys aren't that different from each other. And typically you'd like some variation in there, even if they're all three good quality uh, players. But with Higgins, I went back and looked at a bunch of first receivers drafted in round two. And there's some interesting names, especially in the last 10 years. Debo Samuels last year, and he had a fantastic year, 81 targets, 57 catches, 802 yards and three touchdowns. Cortland Sutton, we've talked about him as a comparison uh, for uh, even T. Higgins, even though I think, as I've been chewing on it a little bit, Kenny De- Kenny Galladay fits in for me for Higgins. Cortland Sutton as a rookie, nine games started, 84 targets, 42 catches, 704 yards, and four touchdowns. Basically, it goes down the last few years have been really good in that position. You take out the two guys that got hurt and didn't play, the average is, for T. Higgins' expectation, 11 games started, 74 targets, 40 catches, 535 yards, and four touchdowns. And this crowded receiving group, I think that'd be pretty good. Yeah, I think that would be great. The the real question is going to be how effective is T. Higgins downfield with Joe Mm -hmm. Burrow and and his penchant for back shoulder throws, which T. Higgins excels with, with his penchant for in-breaking routes, again, which T. Higgins excels with. There's a lot of reason when you start looking at the specifics of their game that the marriage of T. Higgins and Joe Burrow as a quarterback-wide receiver duo makes a lot of sense for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think that move works out really nicely, especially the more time we have to think about it. For me, the the only bugaboo is it remains my issue with the draft that we had on Saturday, Friday. They didn't pick Josh Jones, and mm. they had two opportunities to do so. I, I Like I said, I'm totally fine with T. Higgins, and I like Logan Wilson a lot as a prospect, but I like Josh Jones a lot as a prospect as well. And they had an opportunity to go that direction at 65 where value and need really came together at a perfect nexus. Now you have hindsight, you know, you got Akeem Davis Gaither in the fourth round, but I still just, that that's my only issue. And, and it remains my only issue a few days later. And, you know, we talked how many times this is where you want that another pick, right? Third round, fourth round. And that's where it could have happened, right? It, say they had that other pick for Dalton, even if it was a fourth, high fourth, mid fourth, whatever. If it was a third in, in, a, in a great scenario, there was times we hoped for that, right? That could have been Jones and then Wilson. It, it could have, you know, kept it going and turned this into an A-plus draft. And it didn't happen. So it is what it is. But I do like the two linebackers they drafted. Now that I've got time to chew on it and, and, and think about it, I do think Logan Wilson is going to play a lot as a rookie. And that hasn't been the case for their third-round guys in the past. I mean, we never saw Paul Dustin. We never saw Nick Vigil as rookies. Uh, we never saw Malik Jefferson. He was cut very quickly. We didn't see Jermaine Pratt until much later into the year than we should have for the as, as bad as that uh, linebacker unit was. It, you know, it started to trickle in around week four, five, and six, and then really full-blown after Preston Brown was released. But still, far too long. I think Logan Wilson comes in and plays very, very early. The more interesting one is Akeem Davis-Gaither. And I went on to today just to, all right, let me, let me go rewatch these games. He's one of the first guys I watched because I just – he caught my eye at the Senior Bowl. So did Wilson. But then, you know, when I watch his games, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's way more versatile than expected. He's not just some weak side linebacker. Uh, Coach Minich, Matt Minich on, on Twitter, uh, he – had a good breakdown of this is how Zach Bond, Josh Uchi, and Akeem Davis-Gaither would fit in their hybrid defense. And this was from February or March. 
And I'm like, yeah, great. This is perfect. He would be like a outside linebacker, hybrid, weak side linebacker, safety type that you, I think any defensive coordinator would like that. Now, I don't know how many snaps that is. I don't know if he's a clear upgrade this year at any of those spots, but the, the versatility and the fun, that, fun factor in that makes me really love the pick. Yeah, I think he can immediately get on the field for like 10 to 15 snaps a game. And that's what I said when they picked him. He He's a sub-package player, which his versatility adds a lot of value there. He can blitz. He was very accomplished as a blitzer, despite his relatively small size for a linebacker. He's very accomplished in coverage. He's very athletic. So you're not giving up a ton when he's out there. You're giving up a little bit of length, for sure. You're giving up a little bit of size and power. But if you use him right, you deploy him in passing situations. That's that's how you can get him on the field as a rookie and let him do what he does really well. And if they are going to run more of this three defensive linemen, four quote-unquote linebacker, look, I tweeted today, Joe, the Bengals are not changing to a 3-4 defense. And that's important to, uh, I think, drill drill into again here nothing that they're doing this year is is going to be different than what they do last year, except we might see a little bit more of guys that we consider linebackers on the field last year. And Ben baby said this when he came and joined our stream over the weekend, it was five, two stuff, but it's really the same stuff with different personnel out there. So that's one way you can use Akeem Davis Gaither to uh, maximize his impact on the roster early. And out of the last three guys, just to transition to the end of the draft, my favorite pick was Marcus Bailey, because I think that's an absolute lottery ticket. If he's healthy, he's an easy plug-and-play linebacker. If, if he didn't have that second ACL injury this year, I think we would have been talking about him as a second or third round kind of guy. He isn't necessarily like an elite athlete, but he's probably in the Logan Wilson school and another one that's intensely productive, a team leader. I think we would have seen him go early. So if he get if he can be healthy, and I said this last week or whenever the draft was and we recorded Saturday, uh, he, he's the Rodney Anderson of linebacker picks in the seventh round. So yeah. I love that lottery ticket. The other two guys don't do a lot for me, but they could be solid, you know, bench contributors, rotational players, backups, and in the fifth, sixth round, can't complain about that too much. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Fifth, sixth round, seventh round, you What's the, what are the chances? Wait, 5%? I know it's like more like 2%, you know, to actually become a starter. But to be a contributing backup or a solid player for three, four years, I mean, the, the chances are pretty low. And the thing I liked is that I didn't instantly think, oh, this guy's not making it. You know, you know, Deshaun Davis last year, like instantly we were like, whoa, this guy's a 63 on our on our, um, on our spreadsheet. Uh, they're taking guys that were 72, 71, 70, and that's cool. Those are guys that should be drafted, and you drafted them. So there was nothing off the chain or off the rails that I had to go look up and say, hey, you know, who is this guy? I've known Jordan Browns this year. Where, you know, and, and that's good because uh, I think for the most part, you're giving yourself quality options. And maybe it's only having seven picks. Maybe when you only have seven picks, you're like, yeah, hey, we can't fuck around really here. We've got to make these count guys that could actually come in and contribute and not take some flyers on priority free agents that we want and covet. It's more of we, you know, we need this guy to come in and play minutes if, if possible. Uh, so I, I think the approach was very clean and and very organized this year, you know, not having 10 picks and trading up for Ryan Finley and, and things like that. It was, all right, we need to get linebackers. We need to get a weapon for Joe Burrow. And we need to get guys that could potentially fill out the bottom half of the roster with the last three picks. 
And I think picking at the top of each round also helps a whole lot. It, it means you're getting your pick of the guys that fell from the prior round or rounds. And I think also this year there was a lack of consensus in the NFL because these guys didn't talk to each other at all these pro days and on the on the planes and in the bars and in the stands. They, they didn't have any chance to group think. And so teams were really siloed this year. So if you asked every team across the, the league, you know, are you getting guys that fell for you? Probably every team this year, was, they always would say yes. But I think they'd be maybe a little bit more honest than usual. And I think that's kind of what, whoever the anonymous executive was who said the media has no idea what they're talking about this year. I think that's what he was getting at. There, there was really no opportunity for scouts to share that and come to consensus. And so, and so my reaction now is the same as it was a couple of days ago. It's still a B plus and you gave it an A minus. I think both of those I could be talked into pretty easily. I don't feel very strongly about it. I just wish they had found an offensive lineman that I really liked earlier Hakeem Adeniji is still a real project, uh, and we talked about his chances for development. We're hoping for it, obviously, and Matt Minnick has put out some highlights, so there are some good plays. There are flashes in his repertoire. It's just the body of work means that he was probably drafted where he should have been. Joe, mm-hmm. any anything changed for you since Saturday? No, not much at all. You know what, I... Uh... I still have the same feelings overall. You know, little things are just things we talked about on each player. Uh, nothing for the final guys. You know, I still feel like you're taking quality shots. And overall, um, just that I think in hindsight, they had a much better plan and expectation for themselves and, and didn't waste any picks, yeah. which I think maybe elevates the grade or at least the perception of it at this point. Yeah, and obviously nobody knows how these are going to work out. We can look back in two years and see that we gave Patrick Mahomes a C grade. Not that we did, but somebody did. And oh, that's going to look silly in retrospect. But I think a lot of people probably gave the Chiefs picking Patrick Mahomes low marks. Same for Deshaun Watson. So draft grades after the fact often look silly, but that me- that doesn't really mean you stop, right? You still want to evaluate how did you do given everything we knew at the time given our evaluations, because as we've talked about, it's not always the evaluations that fail. Sometimes it's a scheme marriage that fails. Sometimes it's a coaching failure, an individual failure by the player. You know, some somebody breaks down, something breaks down, but still feel really good about this draft, Joe, a couple days later. And we're through the big part of the offseason. The Bengals started their offseason program today, but it's digital. So I don't know if we're going to hear anything about it except for that they're doing it. And uh, I, I know I read James Rapine wrote they they started today because they get to do three weeks and the three weeks ends the next time the NFL is going to make a decision. So we'll hear an update from the league sometime in May. But until then, we're going to have a bunch of digital talks. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back again tomorrow. If you guys want to send us some questions or get ready for a mailbag, we will post a question gathering thread to organize a mailbag tomorrow. And we'll get into that for the Tuesday night, Wednesday show. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.